A few weeks ago, uh, I stood here and had the privilege of sharing, you, uh, sharing with you a story on how my wife and I met um, and how that story has led us to accomplishing 20 years of marriage come this May, and I'm very proud of that. But that, that 20 years now includes 18 years of stories of our children and raising them. And this morning, I want to share with you another story that happened actually right around Kristen and I's first anniversary. You see, we'd been married for almost a year. We were living in an apartment in north part of Ames as uh, we were both working full-time, and I was also going to school full-time at Iowa State. And, uh, and we had been married for about a year, and thankfully at that point, there was really no pressure from parents to have children. Um, our plan, right, our plan was to wait until we were done with college, until I was done with college, and then I could get a real job and start life. That's when we would have children. Our marriage was pretty routine, nothing exciting, you know. Um, we enjoyed life together. There was a lot that we learned about each other in that first year of marriage. I learned that my wife snored. I'm sorry, hon. I didn't mean to just blurt that out, but she snored. And so I, I still to this day sleep with earplugs, even though the problem has been fixed. Uh, I learned uh, how to deal with conflict and arguments. Uh, we learned to navigate finances and budgets. And in addition, uh, we learned that I'm also not very good at keeping things clean, all right? Um, she's still teaching me that. And I also learned that I married a hard-working woman who is a fantastic cook. I gained 30 pounds my first year of marriage, okay? But moreover, we got, you guys, we just continued to love on each other more and more every day. That was our goal. But something happened that was not part of our normal routine at that time in life. One time, I just remember, it was all of a sudden, Kristen came home from work and she was utterly exhausted. And when she walked through the door of our apartment, it was almost like she was already half asleep and she went into our bedroom and began a nap, or what I thought was a nap. But that nap lasted all afternoon, or all evening, into the night, and all the way through the next morning. And uh, all of a sudden, that began this new routine. She would come home, she was tired, and she would go to sleep. And I had to find supper on my own. I know. We knew that she wasn't really feeling sick. And so in discussing this, we kind of just thought, well, she's just exhausted. Well, this went on for a few weeks, and we started to connect some of these dots, you know. And Kristen began to wonder and ask me, do you think I'm pregnant? To which I said, that's impossible, because that's not part of our plan, right? As if I had life by the reins and I was in control, the, the tiredness continued and finally on one of our weekly grocery shopping outings, we bought the cheapest pregnancy test we could find and we took it home. I remember arriving home in our apartment and uh, reading the directions on the test. The test said that it would take five to 10 minutes for results to show. So Kristen took the test and we put on the counter and we slowly watched with a cautious eye and within 30 seconds, you guys, two lines popped up saying that Kristen was pregnant. And I remember I began to yell, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. And she was running out of the room. She's going, I know, I know. And, and it was just a 10 minutes of chaos in our apartment. I just sat there and stared at that test. Overwhelming emotions, you know, excited, but but I'm afraid and I'm confused and, 
And, and they just began to flood my heart and my head. And I remember this, this state of disarray that actually, I just grew weak in the knees. And I had to sit down and just gain my composure. Well, days proved that the test was true and we finally contacted family members and shared the news and, and everybody was very excited. And we asked for a lot of prayer and support. As we began to wrestle with this change that we knew was going to happen in our lives a short nine months away. Our firstborn Riley arrived more than three weeks earlier than expected on December 30th, 2003. Just past noon after 20 hours of labor. I remember when she came out, she didn't cry. She just looked around at us as if to say, now what? <laughs> and with that... Kristen and I had our first few moments of being parents. We were scared. We were excited. We were nervous for the future. But we were overwhelmed with an indescribable love for this little six-pound package that God had given us. I was a dad. Kristen was a mom, and our lives were already different in the first few moments there, but we had no idea of what was to come and you parents understand that. A little over eight years later, we added three additional girls to the crew. And I, I always tell people, I tried four times for a boy, but God said no. And truthfully, I'm okay with that. But in now 18 years of parenting, I know it's tough. It's not been a walk in the park. And we never thought it would be. Now we've celebrated what we've done right as parents, and we've also regretted the things that we've done wrong. We have uh, done the right correcting and the right discipline, but we've had failing moments of discipline that we've had to have sincere repentance and apologies made to our children. Through it all, I believe that God has done some great work in my kids. And I believe that he'll continue to do so. He's not done. He's also done some great work in Kristen and I. And he will continue to do so there too. I believe that God will continue to give all of us wisdom as parents until we die. The position of a parent is not just a job until they're 18. The relationship that you have with your children past 18 will change and, and morph into something different, but God has firmly established moms and dads as parents. And that's a title you have until you die. Thus, it's also a responsibility that you must carry until your last breath. So today we will be continuing on in our small series of the family with a talk on parenting. And parenting is one of the greatest challenges and blessings that God will ever give you. We will also continue on through the book of Colossians as we talk about this. And may I just say this this morning, you guys who are parents, this will make a lot of sense. You guys who have raised and kind of sent your kids away, you'll get it. Those of you who are standing there and don't have children yet, just listen. Because I believe God's word has value for anybody in any stage of life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, would you please turn to Colossians chapter 3. 
And this morning we only have one verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And it says this, fathers, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Such a small verse, you guys, but it is packed with truth. And it is powerful. I want you to notice right away that this verse is talking to men in the context of being a father. Again, showing what I discussed a few weeks ago with you when I had the privilege to teach on the man's role in a marriage. And I'm not sure if you remember, but I stated then that God does deem a man in a marriage a leader for both his wife and his children. And here in this verse, Paul is again showing you, men, that parenting your children is a responsibility of yours not just your wife. Men, you should be leading in this area. You do not get to check out here on the responsibilities of raising the next generation. It's not your wife's job. From the time that that child enters into the world, men, we have a responsibility as a godly man to care for, to protect, and to parent that child. Fathers do not provoke your children. Provoke. Scripture is telling us that we should not do this to our children. But I think we need to understand the word provoke. You see, in our English language, I realized the word could actually mean a couple different things, a couple different tones, if you will. And those tones either have a positive or a negative to them. Let's begin with a positive. You see, in definition, if you look up the word provoke, it means to motivate, to move, to stimulate, or to produce someone to something. And if that something is good, then the word provoke, obviously, is a good thing. Now, the second tone, or the second definition is similar. However, it carries a more negative attitude to it. Still does not indicate, it still, excuse me, it still does indicate that somebody is moving towards something. However, it leads them to something wrong. This shares that to provoke is to deliberately make somebody annoyed or angry. Knowing that this is certainly written in the scriptures with a particular context, I wanted to, I wanted to understand what version of provoke we were talking about here. Because it sounds like the second one, but I wanted to make sure. So I did a little digging, you guys, and I actually found the original Greek word that was used for this translation, and it is the word parorgizo. Parorgizo. 
which means to anger or provoke to wrath. That's what the scripture is saying, to anger or provoke to wrath. That is the provoke we are talking about here. In other words, this passage is telling fathers that they should not push or lead their child towards or into an angry state with their parenting, leading, or correction. I'm sure us dads sitting in this audience are probably wanting to hang our heads already. Right away, knowing that definition, I can think of countless times where my parenting has led to that. But stick with me. I want us to really think, how are we doing? If that's the definition, if that's the instruction, then how are we doing? Are we doing well or are we failing in our parenting? I would hope that you fathers aren't home scheming up ways to anger or upset your children. That doesn't sound like parenting. I assume that you don't devise plans to make your children angry. That doesn't sound like a wise father. If you are, that's a whole nother sermon. But, but we can't deny that our parenting and, and instruction probably has led to anger or wrath out of our children in some of those situations in the past. My question is to myself, why did it go that way? I didn't plan it. Let me suggest a few things that I discovered as I read and studied this passage on the word provoke. And these are a few things that children wrestle with the most. First, children might be provoked by a set of impossible standards that have been set for them by parents. Are standards wrong for your children to have? Absolutely not. But to some degree, degree we have to set some expectation and standards in order to shape them and grow them. However, are the standards obtainable? That's actually the question here. Standards like their grades at school. Standards or expectations of their popularity within the school or local community. Expectations in their ability to play sports, how good they are at certain things. Expectations in their personal achievements. Expectations of their behavior, expectations of their future careers, expectations of their dating lives, having a boyfriend or a girlfriend when they hit those teenage years. Expectations of the dreams that you have, you have for them. There are so many more that we as parents sometimes lay on them without understanding the pressure that it leads to. And the teenage years are tough. We all know that. And they become even harder when you realize that you can't live up to the standards that your parents expect. Some students begin to feel like they are only loved when they accomplish something big. That's the only time they get recognition or praise from their, from their parents. Something like getting great grades or being the starting player on the team, or being one of the popular kids at school, and so much more. 
So then, do we shy away from challenging them to achieve? No. But how solid that expectation becomes will dictate how much they are provoked to frustration, to anger, to sorrow. And if they are never appreciated for the things they accomplish, it seems hopeless. What about teasing them, ridiculing them, or even humiliating them as a form of punishment or even foolery? My mom was always good at embarrassing me in front of my friends. I remember one time calling home just after I got to school one morning. I was in sixth grade, and I had forgotten my instrument that morning, and we had band practice that day at school. And so I called home and asked mom to bring my instrument to my school, and she promptly left home and brought my instrument to the neighboring town. That was where our middle school was. And she came right to the door of my classroom, and on my classroom door we heard this knock. And my teacher, Mr. Billerbeck, opened the door, and I saw my mom, and she said, Ryan. And I knew it was coming. She began to taunt me in a voice, and she said, here's your instrument. And so I walked to the door, and as I came up to her, she put the instrument behind her and did this, pointed at her cheek for a kiss. Of course, my, my teacher, Mr. Billerbeck, began to laugh, and he began to taunt me as well as the rest of the class, kiss her, kiss her, kiss her. I gave her the kiss on the cheek, grabbed the instrument from her, and went back to my seat, utterly embarrassed. Truthfully, though, for me, that situation didn't provoke anger in me. I was embarrassed, but I had a foundation of love from my mom that allowed me to cope with that disaster in the classroom. I could laugh about it, and I still laugh about it. However, that's not how all kids handle things. Are you, in your parenting, teasing, ridiculing, or humiliating your children in order to teach them a lesson or punish them? In some twisted way, we think, as parents, is that if we correct in this way, they'll promptly fix the situation in order to not go through that humiliation again. Does it work for some? Yes. They may never do that again, but let me ask you this. Does it show your love as a parent in that correction? I don't think it does. I would venture to say that a child who'd, who receives correction like that will only desire to flee from home and your presence once they have the chance. They are done with being humiliated, teased, ridiculed. That is not what a family does. How about another parenting tactic that might lead to provoking them to anger? Let's talk about inconsistency. There's nothing more frustrating to children than inconsistency. Parents, are you fair in your discipline? Do you treat each of your children the same? And are the punishments 
the same and consistent. I remember getting absolutely reamed by my dad when I received my first speeding ticket when I was 16 years old. I was told not to speed. He told me that. I knew it was against the law to speed. And so did my dad have a reason to be upset? Certainly. And he made it known. Fast forward a few years later and my younger sister had her driver's license and she received her first speeding ticket and all she got from my dad was, hey, just be careful. What? I remember going to him and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not fair. Fair. When your children see inconsistency in parenting, they have a hard time understanding why. And it's a good way to drive your children to a point of anger or even distrust. What about the things that you don't think much about? The quick jabbing comments. You know, your sister didn't even do that. Or, I wish you were more like them. Or, I thought you were good enough to do that. What about the desire to make them feel guilty about something? Talking to them and tearing them down in order to somehow correct them through massive amounts of guilt. Again, do we think that they will respond with the right heart when we are doing this to them? What about our joking comments? <laughs> Over the last year, I screwed up big time here, you guys. I started in silliness to say to my daughters when they did something nice for me, you're my favorite. In a joking matter. I laughed knowing that I truly don't have a favorite child and I thought they'd laugh too. And frankly, I think they kind of did on the inside, outside, but on the inside, it was no joking matter. I didn't think much of it until I heard through the family grapevine that some of them were literally keeping track of the how many you're my favorites they got. And they were broken. Some even began to say back to me, well, she's your favorite. Guys, I think I won the Poor Parent of the Year Award last year for that one. Well, let me give you this tidbit of information. Parents, we are not born with perfect parenting skills. You will fail. You will make mistakes. You will do something that you regret. I cannot stress the importance of actively gaining wisdom and direction in all of this, you guys. You need to continually learn how to parent through your entire lives. You must be a student of this because we are sinful and full of mistakes and we are destined to do something wrong in this area. Some of you might enter into this role of parenting or have entered into it with good blueprints to follow. 
meaning you had great parents that did things well. They may not have been perfect, but they did things well and you turned out okay. And because of that, you have kind of taken those and used them in your parenting. But some of us did not have a good example to follow. And frankly, we're trying to figure this out on the go. Trust me, there isn't much out there in our world, in our culture, that can totally prepare you to be a good parent. (laughs) In fact, a lot of the examples are horrible. However, I will tell you this. The dependable source is God's word. The most dependable source on parenting is God's word. Men, women, dads, moms, we need to be gaining wisdom and discernment from God's word in the area of parenting. We need to be interceding with prayer for our kids. We need to be asking and seeking God for wisdom in all situations before we navigate them, before we navigate them. We need to be repenting of our mistakes to our children as well as God when they happen. We need to discover in God's word the directions of parenting. Parenting is never ending. It's ongoing and it's ever changing in many ways. When Riley, our oldest, was born, We did our best to begin to shape her and instruct her with discipline from the very earliest times in her childhood. And by the time that we were pregnant with our second daughter, Brenly, we felt that we were prepared to handle this next child in the same manner. In some strange way, we assume that we have to just do the same things again. Boy, did we learn something. Did you know that God makes your children unique and different? (laughs) Riley came out quiet. Bren came out screaming and didn't stop for hours. I remember thinking, what did we do? Can we put her back? As Brenly grew, though, she actually became one of the easier children to discipline. Riley was a bit sneakier. Riley was that, that, that kind of kid that would stand by the wall that's just been colored with a crayon, holding a crayon in her hand, and you would say, did you do that? And she would say, no. <laughs> but if Bren was standing there holding the same crayon by the same colored wall, and you looked at the wall and you looked at her, she would just begin to cry and confess her guilt. Parenting four different human beings has been one of the greatest challenges of my life and my wife's life. And sometimes we just wanted to pull our hair out and sometimes we'd lose it. My temper, my words, and much more took over and showed a side of me that my children should never see. And often in all that, God would flood my heart with guilt. And usually through the prompting of my wife, I'd have to go make it right with my girls and apologize to them. And 
ask them to forgive me. We have to realize that parenting is a monumental task that has both challenges and rewards and parenting will never be over. So what should we leave with today? What is God challenging us to do here that would help us be better parents and help our children as they grow? Well, first... And most important, parents, you need to and you must rely on the Lord for all of this. There's advice out there, but I would wager most of the advice you would get is poor. God has designed the family, not our government not our culture, not anything else out there. God has designed the family and one of the greatest gifts that he has given you is children, however you might gain them. Psalms 127 verse three through five says this, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of your youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Scripture calls him a treasured gift from the Father that loves you and calls you his child. And these precious gifts need to be cared for and nurtured with wisdom that can only be gained if you are in the Word. And in fellowship with God. Read the word and gain the wisdom that you need. Pray for your children. And never stop doing so. Do it daily. Do it hourly. Do it it whenever the Holy Spirit prompts you to. Pray for them. And pray that God gives you wisdom and patience to make the right decisions when you deliver direction, instruction, and punishment to children. Second, realize that you are not perfect and admit it when you need to. One of the worst things that we do as parents, and me included, you guys, is when we ignore our screw-ups or brush them off as if they didn't happen. When we blow it with our kid and our pride is too much that we can't say we were wrong. Please, please, please admit your fault. Go to them with humility and ask them for forgiveness. Even if it's hours later and you find out that you were in the wrong some way, restore your relationship with your child. That act of humility will go a long way. And it will be remembered for generations if it's done right. And you guys, (laughs) you ask my children, how many times dad or mom has had to apologize to them? It's countless times. And there are times that we probably should have and we didn't. 
But what healing happens when that is, is present, you guys, is incredible. We will make mistakes. And knowing that we're, we're prone to making mistakes is not a, it doesn't give us the excuse to do so. But always aim to make things right. Third, remember that your title as parent is a lifelong title. You are a parent to your children from the moment that they take their first breath to the moment you take your last. And during that time, you should always be a parent to your children. When your child grows up, turns 18, and becomes an adult by social standards, you do not step out of a parenting role. Your parenting tasks probably will change a little bit, as they should, but it is still your biblical responsibility to protect and teach that young man or woman to grow in the knowledge of Christ and how to live that out. And here's a bit of advice. Even though they're 18 or older, you can still instruct them on what's best to do. Sadly, I have encountered a lot of parents in my profession who have said, well, what do I do? They're 18, I can't tell them what to do. And my response is, do they still call you mom? Do they still call you dad? You still can instruct them. However, at this age, it is different. Your parenting should be different. And if you've done things well, your child should value your input and your reason. And they might listen to what you have to suggest. After I turned 18, I didn't shut off my parents. There was certainly a side of me that wished to be grown up and do things on my own. And what my parents did was they took on a discerning role. And they would let me fail. There were times when they would call and say, look, we would advise you not to do this. And because of the parents that they were to me, I knew that they knew something I didn't. And because I had respect for them, even after 18 years old, I listened. However, there were some situations that they let me charge straight into making horrible mistakes and things didn't turn out well. And in my later years, I've often asked my dad, why did you let me do that? And his answer is always, I wanted you to learn. He said it was calculated, Ryan. Calculated risk. Fourth, along with always maintaining your title as parent, as your children grow over, older, you have to be wise with your parenting boundaries. In other words, how much parenting you should do at this point. Again, you will likely have wisdom to share, but whether or not the wisdom needs to be shared at this time or another is the issue. 
In the best circumstances, your parenting should shift more to a best friendship of sorts. You need to be that person or that parent who's dependable, willing to step in and protect if needed, but also willing to wait until you are called upon for help. But remember, even at this age, the scriptures still advise us not to provoke our children. You guys, I believe that godly parenting will lead to a generation of people who are not discouraged and confused. It will lead to a generation of encouraged men and women and who know, uh, who know and trust and love people in a godly manner and desire to do the same for their kids someday. It might lead to a generation who desires to follow Christ and to be examples of him to others. Dads and moms, we are not perfect, amen? But we know who is. And his design and wisdom for parenting is perfect. We must adopt and follow a biblical method of parenting and we must work hard every day never to give the devil a foothold in your family and in your children's lives. We must always make an effort in all circumstances to do what's right. And when we don't, you must, you must be humble enough to admit it. Parents, Love God. Love your marriage. Love your kids. And desire to be a godly parent. Let's pray. Father, your word is true. And again, sometimes your word is hard. And this morning, talking about parenting and being parents, God, you have given us an incredible gift, an incredible challenge, but so rewarding. Kids, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, neighbors. Father, you have a perfect design for this. And I pray that we seek it. In Jesus' name, amen.